Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is, well, September 28th, 2020, episode 2740 of the Survival Podcast, topic roundtable for 92820. Got a bunch of stuff up for you today, starting out with a quote of the day. Acknowledging, sing, acknowledge, sing, acknowledging, sing. What the hell's that? Acknowledging something we should have acknowledged uh, about a week ago. First day of fall, and TikTok goes the clock. Time ticks for us all. We have a quote of the day by Hal Borland. I'll bring that to you in just a minute. A new video to check out on keto and what's called resistant starches. And my thoughts. Thought it would be a good follow up to some of the stuff that Ken Berry and I talked about. I actually reached out to the guy. Serious Keto is the channel with a suggestion, and he responded with basically, really kindly responded, but basically doesn't sound like he's going to do what my suggestion was. Maybe he will someday. I don't know. Maybe somebody will, because I'd sure like to see somebody do it. A newish COVID treatment, I call it newish because it's the same thing, again, but same but different, man, in some ways, combining some other things that we already knew worked, has a 96.4% success rate of those hospitalized. It's really important to understand, first of all, these are people that were sick enough to go to the hospital. 96.4% success rate. At keeping them out of the ICU. Got that? Not keeping them just alive, but keeping them out of the ICU and off a ventilator. And a 100% success rate of nobody dying and nobody at all, even when they went to ICU, needing to be ventilated. But we'll just pretend it didn't happen. In Florida, the hot spot that everybody made a big deal out of this summer that really wasn't that big of a deal. Trump does not pay taxes. That's the new thing out. Bombshell dropped by the New York Slimes. Um, I don't care. I don't know that they actually have his tax returns. I think this is like another one of these unnamed sources that say they saw the thing that it says the thing. You know, the one year he paid like $750 in taxes. He got like a multi-million dollar refund. Blah, 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 blah. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And it has nothing to do with Trump. I will read to you this fourth tenet of modern survival philosophy written in 2008, and I'll tell you why. I wouldn't give a shit who it was. If I was on a federal jury, I'll never be. They'll never let me, so there's no reason for me not to say this. But if I was on a federal jury for anybody not paying their taxes, they could present any case they want. The person could come up and say, I did not pay my taxes. How do you fund a defendant? Not guilty, because tax is theft. Principle over preference. And again, I love being on record with things, especially when it's on record over 12 years ago. So anybody says, well, you've sold out, man. You're supporting the Orange Man. Can go kiss my hairy butt. Anyway, we'll talk about that. Thoughts on navigating and enjoying some of the newer freedom-oriented social networks like Parler and me. we got a question about that. Even asking me to do videos on how to use them. I, I won't do that, but I'll say a few things about that real quickly. 40% of Russia's food still comes from family farms and gardens called dachas. 1% in the U.S. comes from farms and gardens that are you know, small, family-owned farms and backyard gardens. I'll tell you why I think that 1% number is probably a little bit low. Um, but I'll also tell you the good and bad of both of those and something to look at and consider in uh, how countries develop and how development can sometimes lead to falling. Yeah, uh, The best ways to extend your growing season, I'll say a few words on that. Will the cases of COVID explode in the fall, the second wave of death? I'll tell you why there is no reason to expect that it will and no reason to expect that it won't. 
And then I'll give you my prediction on what I think will happen, and I'll even tell you what I think that the media will do in response to it. Uh, three free documentaries to consider binging on YouTube in the coming weeks. Oh, and everything Gordon Ramsay, too. What's Gordon Ramsay have to do with this? I'll tell you when we get there. But I wanted to give you guys, we're heading into the holiday season. We're heading into the fall. We're heading into some downtime. We're heading into people curling up on the couch and watching the boob tube. I wanted to give you some stuff I've talked about before and some stuff I haven't talked about recently that you can watch that won't rot your friggin' brain and actually might cause you to do something that people don't seem to want to do anymore. Think. Think. Yes, think. And come up with ideas and thoughts for how you can make your life even better. Uh, the three documentaries I've mentioned before at varying times, they're all from the same people, And then the Gordon Ramsay thing, that just popped into my head when I was making up the show notes today. I'll tell you about something that's on the TV TV, and I'll tell you about some stuff you can find on YouTube, Gordon Ramsay as well. All right, so let's start out with our two sponsors of the day. They do a lot to help make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day, number one, ButcherBox. I love ButcherBox so much that they pay me in their product. They're the only sponsor I have that pays me in product. I mean, really, I mean, I guess... You know, Jam Bullion, I would accept, hey, I mean, you reach out to them and say, hey, you guys could pay me in silver and gold. That's actually a good idea. But they, right now, anyway, ButcherBox is the only sponsor that pays me in product. A giant box of meat shows up outside my door once a month, and I add additional meat to the stuff that they pay me with. I love barter. Barter is indeed better. And when you're bartering for pastured pork, pastured poultry, and grass-fed beef, that's even better. Now, you can't barter for it, but they will take your money. And I'll tell you what, you'll get a hell of a value for the money at ButcherBox. Check them out at ButcherBox.com. I highly recommend you use the banner on our website, though, if you are not an MSB member, because you'll still get 10 bucks off your first order. And if you are an MSB member, then I really suggest you go to the MSB first and get $10 off every order forever for as long as you have a subscription with them. Uh, that is awesome. It's $120 a year if you are a monthly customer. It's $60 a year if you are a every-other-month customer. And guess what? MSB is 50 bucks. That one discount pays for it alone, and it is fantastic quality product. Next up today, Backwoods Home. Backwoods Home really is a big part of what made, Emma, uh, made the Survival Podcast the Survival Podcast. For almost 20 years, I read, this, I read Backwoods Home magazine faithfully every single episode before I even started doing the show, and I'm still a reader today. If you check them out, you'll see why. It's a hard thing to be in the magazine, print magazine business in 2020. They're still doing it because they do it right. They've gone to a quarterly. That makes it a little more cost-effective for them. But they have beefed up the magazine. Each one is like a small book sent to you once every few months. It is awesome. Check them out today at BackwoodsHome.com. With that, let's go ahead and dig into this quote of the day from Hal Borland, who was an American author who... Uh, I believe he was around from 1900 to 1978. I think he was 78 years old when he uh, expanded his dash and was done. Uh, but he said something about that we can even take into account when we're thinking that way. But we can also just think into the actual seasons. Or we can think in cycles themselves with this. He said one time, summer ends and autumn comes. And he who would have it otherwise would have high tide always. And a full moon every night. I love that quote, and I I did want to do something with autumn. I realized, hey, the uh, the the false the fall equinox came, and you didn't say anything about it. You didn't tell people TikTok. You didn't talk about the changes. You didn't do shit, Jack. What's wrong with you? So I wanted to bring this one up to you guys today, and just start out with it is fall. 
I did kind of mention that the seasons had changed, but it was before fall actually happened. And it's amazing how abrupt it happens in about the third week of September throughout most of the country, even the south here. It's still very warm on some days, but I look outside right now and I can see that it's different. In fact, when I went outside just before I started recording today, I was actually taken at how warm it was because it doesn't look like it's warm. It doesn't look like it's warm. And yesterday, my wife said the overnight low would be 58. And about 9 o'clock, I went out to put the chickens to bed and the ducks to bed. And it was a very, very warm breeze. And I was like, I don't see this 58 degrees happening. About 2 o'clock in the morning, the dog annoyed me in the bed. So I got up to put the, a very, if one dog goes out, they all go out. That's how it works in the middle of the night. And they don't come back till morning. So, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, Charlie Daniels nosed me in the, in the, in the face. Uh, from the side of the bed, so I put all three dogs out, and it was windy as heck, and it was down in the 50s. So even though it's warm today, we're having these cool nights, and it is just a warm... I love the fall. I love the fall. I think the only reason people love spring more than fall... I think fall is actually a more pleasant season, but it leads to winter, where spring leads to summer. So fall leads to the holidays, and that's all good and well, but then you got like January, February, and it's friggin' cold and icy, and yeah. Ice. So I think that's the only reason people don't really appreciate fall as much. Some don't as much as spring. Um, but there is something to do with cycles here. How boring would it be if the seas didn't rise and fall with tide? How boring would it be if everything stayed one way all the time? It makes me think of one of my fa other favorite authors, Richard Bach. In his book, Illusions, and the main character, Richard, is talking to Donald. Donald is the reluctant messiah. And they're talking about perfection, and would perfection be boring? And, 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 Don, and I'm paraphrasing some of the stuff here, but Donald basically says to Richard, what about the sea? Have you ever seen the sea when it's not perfect? And, 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 and Richard's like, the sea is always perfect. He said, is it ever the same? No. What about the sky? Same thing. Perfection can also always be changing, and hence never boring. And that is the opportunity that we have to live life. Our opportunity to live life is perfect. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean we'll do it perfectly. It doesn't mean we'll be without tragedy and hardship and sorrow. But our opportunity is, in itself, a perfect opportunity to make the best of what we have to do the most with what we have. But to do that, we must always pause and enjoy these cycles. But we also always must keep a little bit of urgency underneath us. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. Time moves for us all. Remember, I've said this so many times, but I will never stop saying it. Life is not a static scale. It's, it's, not, it's not a sliding scale. It's always moving. And that means you're either advancing in the things that you want in your life Or by life moving forward without you, you're moving backwards. It's up to you. I love the fall, but it also puts a little bit of a foot in my ass as to, hey, a lot of things you said you were going to get done, they're not done yet. Tick-tock. Get them done, Jack. Get shit done. All right. So I saw this video today, and the guy, the guy's channel, I remember his name, but I've never seen him before, actually. I probably have, but I've not really watched him before. Uh, with all the keto videos, I'm sure he's been an associated video. He's a pretty big channel called Serious Keto. And he had a video about if you cook potatoes or rice a certain way, it is supposed to create what's known as a resistant starch that will not spike your blood sugar levels. 
So he did this test with potatoes. It didn't work. He did this test with rice, and it did work um, to a degree anyway. And it's an interesting thing to take a look at. And I think it's interesting that he said, you know, hey, this maybe the potato things would work for somebody else. Maybe the rice thing wouldn't work for you. If you're going to do it, you should use a glucose meter and see for yourself. I think that's an interesting thing to do. I don't know that I'll be out poking my fingers anytime soon to, to figure this out. But I suggested something to him that he didn't seem key on, key, keen on doing. But it may not be necessary for him. Maybe. I don't know. Depends. If you're going to eat an evening meal this way, it might end up changing. Because it seemed like... He was doing his early meal this way. And I mentioned something with Ken Berry. Uh, Ken is big on you know, no net carbs thing. I, I disagree a lot, and I agree some, is the way I would put it. So if you're talking, and I think Ken agrees with me on this part, if you're talking about sugar alcohols, like if you're talking about monk fruit or erythritol or whatever, those do nothing. Those do nothing to blood sugar. Where Ken disagrees is with fiber. And so my issue with fiber is, If it's truly fiber, if it's truly fiber or it's truly a resistant starch that you cannot digest, right, in your stomach, in your small intestine, in your duodenum, all that area up top, right, small intestine, stomach, if you can't digest it there, it cannot, 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 infinity, cannot alter your blood sugar Because you cannot digest it, and if you cannot digest it, you cannot extract the calories in it. Therefore, it cannot change blood sugar. Okay? Can't. Can't, can't, can't. However, like I said during my discussion with him, what it can do is it gets down into your lower bowel. That means it's getting ready to become poop, but it ain't yet. And it sits down in there, and we're supposed to have good intestinal flora, and that's where the bulk of it is. And it goes, mmm, starches, yummy. And it starts having a party. And it goes through a fermentation process, and about a third to two-thirds, depending on who you believe, of the available calories can then be absorbed by the body, and they absolutely will be more absorbed as a carbohydrate, because that's what they are. Now, I do want to point something out. That actually makes them less impactful on blood sugar than protein. Yeah, because protein has an impact of about 60%. So if it's one-third, it's 33%. Yeah, yeah, it's gluconeogenesis, right? That's why we want to go high on fat, moderate on protein, very low on carbs and keto. So even if what I'm saying is true, and I believe that it scientifically is, because I've read literature that says so, that seems valid, it's still a very small amount of carbohydrate relative to the intake, unless you're having lots of it. Now, if you're having a bowl of rice, to me, that would be a lot of it. If you're eating 14 low-carb tortillas, that would be a lot of it. If you're eating half a dozen, if you're eating three of them every day, that's a lot. And the only way that you would know what impact that they have on your blood sugar would be to do a glucose reading test about 18 hours, because general consensus in the literature is that is about when the peak is reached from the ability of your body to extract this material. And you can only extract so much because sooner or later, poop, poop, and it's gone. Okay? And it's not a very efficient process. I also wonder, and I don't know this, I haven't found any supporting evidence or anything to the contrary, that if the body is very well optimized in getting nutrient and calories and it's not in a starvation mode, 
how much effort it would really put into taking this residual last bit on the way out from it. I don't know. But if anybody out there you know, does glucose readings as part of their keto, and I, I, I have to say, and I know I'm going to piss some diabetics off, your data is not valid for the non-diabetic, in my opinion. Because it's not like-kind data. And you have a totally different response rate. And you're, you know, supplying your own insulin. And, and I don't want really diabetics risking anything either. So I, I don't want diabetics data on this. I would love to have somebody eat either resistant um, starch and then verify that it works for you before you try the other side of it. Because, like I said, the potato way didn't work for him and the rice way did. So anyway, And I'm not going to get into how, they, how he did it. Or simply consuming something that is a high-fiber meal or lots of fiber in it that would have additional... And then testing yourself at 18 hours after that meal. And I would also say then, you know, have a day where you, you, you are perfect keto in your consumption, your calories, your macros, and go from a meal 18 hours out. And have this... If, it's, if you're doing your early meal and you're 18 hours to your, your, your meal, right, in between, or your late meal, so that it... You see what I'm saying? Like, equalize it out so that it's the same amount of time from the meal that contained the fiber and the same amount of time from the last meal before or after that high-fiber meal. And get a, a fasting glucose number without the fiber 18 hours in advance and then a fasting glucose number with the fiber. That would give you the, that would give you the real information here. And everybody who knows this guy, like tell him, hey, maybe you want to do this anyway, even though you said it was three in the morning. Maybe you need to put it in your evening meal and check it out. Because like I said, for people that do two meals a day, the evening meal and the morning meal tend to be about 18 hours. Like a six hour window is like optimal. So it just hits right when that peak's supposed to be. So if our if our evening meal is high fiber and our morning meal is not like pure carnivore or something like that, and we're putting some carbs in there, even if we're like within our limit, let's say 10 net carbs, and we're not putting a bunch of fiber, and those are carbs from things like, you know, vegetables and whatever, okay? Or a little bit of cheese or what have you. So we're at there, but if there's if there's like this ongoing release of carbs from that fermentation process, and I don't know. That would just be something really interesting to understand. Now, here's something I do know. There is a treatment for COVID. I said there is a treatment for COVID. I said there is a treatment for COVID, and it actually works. This is not in dispute. Um, this has been known for a while that this type of, of, of things does work and will continue to work. The therapy is uh, called ICAM, I-C-A-M. And I have a uh, a article link to that's beginning to piss me off. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a second and I'll explain why. Uh, so what was going on? One of these websites has so much crap on it. Every time I clicked to try to use the mouse to scroll, it was going to another article, and there was all kinds of pop-up garbage and shit, and this is like a major news outlet with like dancing clowns on their bullshit, so I got rid of them, and I found a different source, and this one has an, a, a video embedded. I'm just going to play the audio of it for you, and then I'll come back and uh, give you my thoughts on it. Welcome back, everybody. The answer to coronavirus could be right here in central Florida. A new treatment developed in Ocala is seeing measurable results with a near 
perfect success rate. Fox 35's Amanda McKenzie reports. Doctors and scientists around the world are working to combat the deadly effects of the coronavirus. Advent Health Ocala officials say a new drug therapy they developed called ICAM is seeing groundbreaking results. The drug class combination it works to defend the body against the most severe consequences of coronavirus. She says ICAM works by reinforcing the immune system and protecting the lungs from inflammation. They saw instant results. What we found out was that ICAM works as a strategy of super defense of the body. It does not kill coronavirus, but it doesn't need to. Viruses are self-limiting anyway. They have a very short life cycle. What kills people uh, are the consequences of coronavirus in multiple ways. Since April, they have seen a 96.4% survival rate for COVID-19 patients admitted at Advent Health Ocala. 76 days, we had no need for critical care. We had no need for mechanical ventilation. And the patients all survived to discharge, regardless of age and regardless of past medical history. ICAM is an acronym for the types of medications used. Immunosupport, such as vitamin C and zinc, corticosteroids to control inflammation, anticoagulants to prevent blood clots, and macrolides to help fight infection. The ICAM protocol has the potential to trigger the reopening of the country. We will know the next step after our outpatient study. Now they are beginning a clinical trial for the drug therapy to publish their findings and share the treatment with physicians around the world. Amanda McKenzie, Fox 35 News. Okay, let me just start out with, um, this is another example of a therapy that's been done in a clinical hospital scenario that's worked, that there's literally no reason for any hospital anywhere to not immediately implement right now for at least anybody that's not in some sort of other clinical trial so that it wouldn't mess it up. You're talking about a medication regime that is completely safe, has no disastrous side effects, and won't turn you into a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something like that. And, and, and there's some words in there that maybe we need to focus a little bit on. The first one, immunosupport. Uh, vitamin C and zinc. Vitamin C and zinc. Gee, that's not new, is it? No, that's not new. Um, and then, of course, after we have I, we have C, corticosteroids to control inflammation. COVID silver bullet, anyone? That man was using an inhaled corticosteroid long ago, and he's been butchered by the media for saying that it works. Okay, and this is more of an oral corticosteroid. But if an inhaled, an inhaled one would probably work better because it's going directly to the source of the dangerous inflammation in the lungs. Uh, anticoagulants to prevent blood clots. This is already being used, and we already knew that this was helpful toward the treatment of COVID. And maclorides to help fight infection. What the hell is a macloride? Well, I, I guess they wanted a M in there so that it made a funny, a funky looking, uh, an acronym, because another A there would have been ah, right? Uh, it's an antibiotic. Maclorides are a specific type of antibiotic, and guess what the like kind of number one uh, maclaride antibiotic is? Azithromycin. Yeah. So they're using <laughs> basically uh, vitamin C and zinc, corticosteroids, uh, a Z-pack, 
or other macleride-type antibiotics and something to prevent blood clots. Does that sound actually that much different than using hydroxychloroquine with zinc and vitamin C and the ZPAC? It's really not. It's not much different at all. In the end, what we're doing here is we're saying, hey, this virus in of itself is not that big of a deal. It's, it's the effects on some people that it has. This is what I've been saying from the beginning and why all of the research done around hydroxychloroquine uh, was biased, and I say intentionally so because you'd have to be either that or all the scientists doing the research are idiots. Those are your, they either did it maliciously or through incompetence. And, and I, I would actually rather believe in actual malice here than incompetence because if the people doing this level of research are this incompetent, we're all screwed on everything. But I, I, that that report kind of blends in, and best I can I can I can fathom here is that no one died. In the 96.4%, what they're saying is none of those people had to go to ICU or had to be um, intubated. And that other group, the 3.6% other, had to go to ICU but didn't have to be intubated, and none of them died. That's it, It's hard because this is not a published study. But even if it's 96% of people that went to the hospital for this surviving... Do you know what that does to the actual death rate? And they said regardless of age or comorbidity. That's huge. That's huge. And even if some people did die, I, I keep trying to say this. There are, is a certain number of people, when you get something that hits this many, that are going to have this, that if they didn't have this, they were going to die anyway. It's not 90%, like some people tried to make out when we had the bomb drop about the comorbidities being, it's like actually like 92% or something like that. It's only like 6,000 deaths without any comorbidities. Not all of those comorbidities were going to kill the person this week, this month, this year, or even maybe in the next five years. But a huge number of them were. And if you have a person who's 93 years old, bedridden, that's already had multiple bouts with near death, die of something, I don't think you can say that thing killed them anymore. And, and I would think that when you're talking about hospitalized patients, there's probably a significant number there. I have a very good friend whose wife is going through her, uh, her residency uh, as, as a, a, an NP right now who has been treating these patients in ICU settings. That's her rotation. She's in ICU rotation right now. And she said... More than half of these people would have been dead this month, whether they got COVID or not. More than half. Now, her ICU, most ICUs aren't as big as I think people in their head think they are. You know, like a smaller hospital might have an ICU with six to eight beds in it, and that's kind of what hers is. So that's not a huge number of people, but that's a big percentage. And this is not my opinion. This is a person's professional medical opinion who was treating people just like this before COVID, and watching them die of other things. So I think you have to take a certain class of people in this and say, this is not really a COVID death. This is a death due to old age. And if you did that here, I think you end up with a near-perfect rating. And can we stop pretending? And the answer is no, we can't stop pretending. This will be buried. This will be suppressed. It will not be used. It will be MF'd all the way into the ground until they can shove a vaccine in your ass. Because this is all about a trillion-dollar money grab through a vaccination. That's what this is really about. Trillions of dollars for free for these drug companies with no liability whatsoever. 
They will drag me kicking and screaming, and I will shoot somebody in the head before I get this vaccine. You're not giving me this vaccine. It's not happening. Like, I, I don't really want to die on that hill, but you try to pull me out of my house and give me a vaccine, I will shoot you. Just, just so we're clear in advance here, right? I don't think it's going to come to anything like that, but that's how anti of this vaccine I am. I, I would rather take care of my immune system, take care of my body, and go on with life. And I damn sure ain't going to be one of the first wave of people to get this. I'm going to wait and see what happens to other people before I even consider if maybe if I was super high risk that I might. And so that's kind of for other people because I'm not, I'm not doing it. But, I mean, there's no way I'd be kind of first in line for this damn experimental pile of crap. Anyway, let's go to another one. Shocking revelation. Donald Trump has not wanted to release his tax returns because in a bombshell piece, the New York Slimes says, Donald Trump doesn't pay any taxes at all. He's in the real estate business, dumbass. And if you understood anything about the real estate business, you'd know that's very, very common. In fact, it is one of the primary ways to build wealth in this country that is unique to this country. That's a wonderful thing. If you understand things like 1031 exchanges so that we take one property and when we divest ourselves of it, as long as we buy another equal or greater than property, we don't have to pay any taxes. We take depreciation against all our properties. You have a, if you are a guy that owns multi-billion dollar buildings or multi-million dollar buildings, the depreciation on that is huge. But this is not defense of the orange man. I want to read something to you. I wrote this in August of 2008. So 12 years and some month and a half ago, okay? Something like that. Modern survival philosophy, okay? And I'll read the intro, and then I'm going to skip right to number four if you want to read the 10 original. There's two that were added since then, but the 10 original, you can go read the whole article. You saw there's a link in the show notes. I thought it was a good idea to add a page to the site about the core philosophy I have about being survival-minded and modern survivalism. My hope is that individuals from the, those areas will enjoy this site, but the average Joe and average Jane will also get a great deal from my site and podcast as well. The core of my philosophy is about being prepared, lifestyle planning, self-sufficiency, and energy independence can be summed up with the following 10 core values. Again, two were added. Skipping to number four. Tax is theft. The best way to combat it is to understand every legal deduction you can take or create. In general, I think the system is bad, but when it comes to taxation, either learn the system or hire a damn good accountant to work it for you. Every dollar you keep can be used to improve your self-sufficiency. Every dollar taken from you can be used to make your dependence on government stronger. That is number four in modern survival philosophy from 12 years ago, and nothing has changed. So the fact that Donald Trump didn't pay tax or didn't pay a lot of tax, or paid very little tax, at least in one category of tax, income tax at the federal level, does not concern me at all. And if it was Barack Obama, it wouldn't concern me at all. If it was Jimmy Carter, it wouldn't concern me at all. Now, those two guys aren't smart enough to not pay taxes, apparently, but I would think their accountants are. But they're not in the real estate business. But again, this isn't about the orange man. If I was put on a federal jury... And let me explain something. If I could get away with it, I would walk up to Bill Gates and I would punch him in the head so hard he would be on the ground twitching. You remember the uh, movie uh, Rocky Three, where uh, the the uh, was it Rocky Three? It was the one with the Russian. It was Rocky Four. Where uh, it was yeah Rocky Four, where Apollo Creed, Dolph Lundgren's character, like freaking kills him in a ring and he's twitching like uh, like a deer on the on the ring floor, back and he died. Right? I don't want to kill him necessarily, but I would want him twitching like that. And yet, 
principle over preference. You put me on a federal jury for tax evasion, and you put Bill Gates there as the defendant, and you prove to me, beyond any reasonable doubt, Bill Gates avoided taxes illegally under United States Code, I would say, not guilty. Because tax is either theft or tax is not theft. And you people are like, but if I have to pay it, then he had to pay it. You don't have to pay it any more than he does. I don't know how much, how, how much more clear I can be on this. 90% of our big, giant, convoluted tax code is how to avoid paying what 10% says you have to pay. I've said that forever, and I've said forever, raising taxes on billionaires will not make billionaires pay taxes because they already don't pay taxes. You have a category of people who doesn't pay taxes. Now, many of their businesses pay lots of taxes. And if you went through and figured that you're talking about personal tax when the majority of the income is within corporations that pay the tax unless the money is distributed to the individual. Well, that means he's paying for everything inside his corporations and he's getting away with it. Isn't that what I've been telling you to do for freaking 12 years? I don't care. It has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats. It has to do with what I've been... This makes my case. The only reason I'm talking about it is it makes my case. Rich people don't and are not going to pay taxes. They're not. Now, on some levels, they actually pay a lot of taxes. Why don't you figure out what his property tax bill is? Why don't you figure out what his state tax bill is? Why don't you figure out how much tax the Trump organization has contributed to the United States economy over the last 30 years when you take all taxes into account? And I bet you it's billions of dollars. It's billions. We're talking about matching the Social Security of every single employee of the corporations and subcorporations. We're talking about property taxes on some of the most expensive property in the world. right? We're talking about sales tax over and over and over again on all materials consumed. I mean, the, the amount of tax that the Trump corporations have paid is, is, is more than the average person can even think about as a tax bill. But I don't care. And if they didn't pay those, I don't care either. And if you don't pay your income tax and you get away with it, good for you. If everybody doesn't pay their income tax and the government goes broke and doesn't have any tax money at all and there's no way they can figure out how to fix it and they have to move to a voluntary society, good, I win. I don't want you to have to pay one penny more tax on anything than you absolutely have to to stay out of jail. And I don't want Trump to do it either. I don't want Bill Gates to do it. I don't want anybody doing it. Item 4, Modern Survival Philosophy, written in August 2008. Tax is theft. The best way to combat is to understand every legal deduction you can take or create. In general, I think the system is bad, but when it comes to taxation, either learn the system or hire a damn good accountant to work it for you. Every dollar you can keep is used to improve your self-sufficiency. Every dollar taken from you can be used to make your dependence on government stronger. And it applies to everybody else, because when the government makes one more dependent on government, the government makes all dependent on, on more on government. And that is the two equality under government that you, some of you people still ascribe to. We are not made equal in opportunity by government. By no means. Government seeks us to, to render us not equally free, not equal in liberty, not equal in rights but as equal as they can possibly make an independence upon their system. That is their goal. And, and the only way that you reduce that is reduce how much tax you pay relative to the income you make. It's not just you make less money, so you pay less money. 
Somebody said to me on Parler today, well, would you rather have a convoluted system like the one we have or a flat tax? And I said, when it comes to business, it's the same, dummy. It's the same. Because I'm still going to take the business deductions. And I'd actually rather have the convoluted system because it gives me an advantage because I'm willing to work it and you're not. But in the end, it's the same. Flat tax would only make everybody pay the same on earned income as an employee. As a business owner, I am still going to stack deductions against it. I am still going to earn, spend, and then pay the taxes on what's left. You're still, if you're an employee, you're going to earn, pay taxes, and you get to spend or save what's left. And it's not going to change. Ever, because that's how business works. You can't tax 100% of my business revenue because it's not all income. And anything I can turn into an expense, I'm going to turn into an expense. I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it illegally. I'm going to do it completely legally with paperwork that the government tells me how to do in their giant ass code written by billionaires so that people like Trump cannot pay taxes. So quit screaming for the government to increase your tax burden because it's not going to increase their tax burden because they're going to write the law. And I don't care who you put there. It could be Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump Jr. or freaking you can go and figure out a way to reanimate and cure Alzheimer's and bring Reagan back, you can go back and bring Jefferson or Washington back, put them in the current environment, and the billionaires are not going to pay taxes. Because they're not! Because billionaires don't pay taxes, because that's how they got to be billionaires. So you too must learn to focus on the 90% that tells you how not to do what the 10% says you have to do. If you don't want to do it, quit bitching about it when other people do it successfully. I don't care if they're the orange man, I don't care if they're freaking the scum that is Bill Gates, I don't care! There's a principle at work here. Tax is either theft or it isn't. And if it's theft, then any way that anybody can avoid having their money stolen, I am pro for. All right, let's go on another one. So Craig said, can you give a tutorial on navigating the newer, more freedom-oriented social media platforms that are increasingly in popularity? I am a small part of your audience uh, that is not comfortable using technology as the rest of y'all. I get easily confused learning new platforms, and it discourages me from taking full advantage of them. Finding content creators and even like-minded individuals seems particularly frustrating. Perhaps this can be a video segment. You can demonstrate how it is even even an old welder with fat fingers can do it. Thanks for all you do, Craig. Um, Craig, I don't know, man. Um, here's, here's what I think, and you're not going to like this, but I think it's true. People tend to make things hard when they don't actually want to learn how to do them or they require anything to be even a little bit different uh, than, than they're accustomed to. And, and it's, this is not comparing you to a child. This is, this is showing how it's universal across all ages and all brackets and all mindset. We think of kids as the ones that always want to grab onto things and learn and do. Well, they do when they're really motivated. But like my grandson is just kicking ass with Excel's Academy. Which, again, I, I call it homeschool, but it's really not. It's school at home. Because it's a private school that he does online at home. It's really not homeschool in the conventional sense. And Because, uh, like, we're not running the curriculum. The school is. We pay them to do that, and they do a great job of it. Well, he loves it. Right up until he gets a writing assignment. Because a writing assignment is not just answering questions. A writing assignment is not A, B, C, or D. A writing assignment takes time and effort, and you have to do it. And you have to do it, and then you get judged on it, and you have to fix what's not right. So like all young children, he's not real happy when he's forced to do work that he'd rather not do. So every once in a while, the pop of foot has to go in the little butt crack and make the work get done. 
And he has to be reminded of the deal we made. He puts 100% effort into this. He generally gets about two hours of schooling a day, and he gets the rest of his life to be free. And he either wants to be free or he doesn't, and he has to have a taste of freedom. So he keeps working for it. So what does this have to do with you? I think that basically you're being Braylon here. This is not hard. This has nothing to do with technology. There's old people all over the place using Facebook. Right? It's not like it's some kind of thing. It's not, it, is, it is not as complicated as using the VCR that we used to have Blink-12. My VCR used to be Blink-12 too. I too used to put a little piece of black tape over it. You set up an account, it's pretty self-explanatory. That said, here's some things I think you can do to get more out of it. Number one, um, I think if you're going to connect with our group, please use and search out the hashtag TSP friends. A hashtag, if we don't know what that is, is the pound sign followed by a word or a phrase. But if it's a phrase, it must not have spaces and in some platforms may not have dashes. You just kind of cram all the letters together. So TSP friends is like all one word, but a hashtag precedes it. If you click on that, you'll see everything that was recently posted that uses that hashtag. And since we created a hashtag, instead of competing with one like cats or dogs, you're going to see almost everything that was posted there. Start following those people and, and commenting on their posts. I think the number one thing you can do to build a presence and to build relationships is to actually participate. So comment, etc. If you're on MeWe, we have the same post. Also look up my profile and actually go to my profile page. So when you find me and you send a request and I accept it because I accept all of them, unless it's clearly spam or porn, I accept all requests on MeWe. Uh, then you go click on my name and go to my page and you'll see at the very top I have pinned a post that says tell people who you are and what got you into the TSP community etc and then go through there and friend all those people and make a comment there as well telling people who you are to make contact with you there's like 80 people in there right now in that post and that's an, the old one had like 400 but it was like two years old now so I, I did it again and started it over So by connecting with people, on MeWe, join groups. Search groups, find groups that you like, and join them. Definitely join the TSP group. Join the Regenerative Agriculture group. Maybe join Nicole's Living Free in Tennessee group, etc. Parlor doesn't have groups. The problem with Parlor is until you follow people, you're not going to see anything. So really check out the TSP friends thing there. We're starting to build a pretty good community there as well. I will also say this about Parlor real quick. I don't know how they're going to do this because Parler works like Twitter. It's like this long feed of short snippets and links, right? It's not really group friendly, though I guess you could create groups through hashtags, kind of the way that they create channels on something called Discord. Um, but John, who is the, the founder of Parler, recently did a post. Hey, those of you who have used Facebook groups, what do you like? What don't you like? What do you wish it did that it doesn't do? So I can see Parler expanding to where it's almost like a Twitter-Facebook hybrid I think that's where John wants to take it, and I think that's a great place to go, to occupy both spaces where you can basically have this kind of quick, down-and-dirty discussion like a Twitter, but also have more in-depth, community-oriented discussions as well. But I can't really sit here and give you, because if I give a tutorial of how to use all these platforms on a podcast, I sort of got people will roll their, head, their eyes back in their head and pass out. They really will. You just got to pick one. See, this is the other thing, too. Like, I'm on Telegram. I'm on Parler. I'm on MeWe. I'm even on Gab, though I think it's a complete dumpster fire, and I'm probably not going to put much more effort into it. Right? I'm on Discord. 
Why? I am a marketer. I think you should kind of get on a couple of them, figure out the one that you like, and unless you're a marketer, unless you're publicizing a brand, you don't need but one, maybe two. And right now, MeWe and Parler would be the two I would recommend if you're going to be on two, because one's Twitter and one's Facebook uh, as corollaries. But just pick one, and for a week, just play with it. And if you want to know how to do something, then all you really need to do, all you really need to do, go to YouTube and say, how do I fill in the blank, don't write fold in the blank, fill the blank in for real, on Parler or on MeWe. And there's probably somebody that's already made a video. So that's, I don't mean to pick on you, dude, but like, that's like, if you want to do it, you got to just do it. This isn't one of those things that really you're hampered by lack of ability with. Um... I would say the exception may be Discord. Discord takes a little bit of a learning curve. If you can text, you can use Telegram. If you can use Twitter, you can use Parler. If you can use Facebook, you can use MeWe. If you haven't used those things and you're like new to social media, you're willing to give it a chance because it's not those platforms. Pick one, get on it, play with it. Follow some. I'll tell you the one thing I don't like about Parler. It is very hard to find people unless you know their handle if their handle isn't their exact name. It's a pain in the ass. Um, for instance, I wanted to tag Ken Berry, and I knew he was on Parlor. And even though I follow him, I couldn't really find him. I couldn't remember because it's not at Ken Berry. It's like at Ken Berry MD or something like that. And when I searched for Ken Berry, I found a bunch of people that aren't him. And and it, and I didn't find him at all. Like scroll down to our, the name change to somebody else, and it's still on him because he's at Ken Berry MD. So the search algorithm on parlor for people is not great. And I would say that if you are a brand, then you want to use whatever people would look for. I used at Jack Spirico. You can find me that way. That's that's the little tip I'll add there. I'll see what I can do more on this, but I've got to figure out how. And honestly, when it comes to like doing screen capture videos and tutorials of how to use platforms, I'm probably not your guy. I, I it, it just put it this way, everybody has limits to what they can do. Everybody has limits to what they can do, and I have reached some of mine, and I have learned to stop trying to do more and more all the time. So I saw this one kind of floating around. I think somebody emailed it to me as well, um, but I also saw it floating around on Parler and MeWe. And it's a little blog post on Return to Now is the blog, and it is titled, Nearly 40% of Russia's food still comes from small family gardens. I found this one to be interesting, and a lot of potatoes being grown in Russia. Um... And I wanted to read some of this to you. While most of the world is completely dependent on industrial agriculture, the Russian people feed themselves as recently as 2011. Okay, I want to stop there a second. Um, this article was written in February of 2020. 2011, I understand why they're using that number. They're using that number because it's the most recent number they could find. But that's not recent. That's nine years ago. Just So things change, and you're going to see why I'm pointing that out here in a second. As recently as 2011, a full 40% of food produced in Russia came from small household gardens called dashas. That number is down from a peak in the communist era of 90% when the nation's food came from dashas, small plots of land given to people by the government for growing food. So that's why I'm pointing out 2011 versus 2020, nine years. If we've gone from 90 to 40 between, let's say, 89 and, and 2011, that trend is probably continued. It's probably less than 40 now. 
Uh, but 40% is still huge compared to less than 1% of American food still grown on small family-owned farms. In colonial America, farming was the primary livelihood of 90% of the population. Today, farmers and ranchers represent only 1% of employed Americans. Let me explain something to you. That number is not true. Farming was the primary livelihood for 90% of the population. It's not possible. It's not possible. You can't have 90% of your people get their primary income from farming. I don't, I'm not even going to read the, the link that makes that claim, but I'm going to tell you that that is not possible. That's not possible. I'll just leave it at that. Like You can figure out for yourself if you want to why that's not possible. That's because the, and that doesn't mean that 90% of our food couldn't have come from domestic production. But 90% of our population primarily employed as a farmer, no. Not true. Of course, it says colonial America. What colonial America? 1600s? Or, you know, around the time of the revolution. I guess that could change. That's because the control of our nation's food supply is shifting to fewer and fewer hands. The sh that's not why. That's not why. The shift hasn't been nearly as dramatic in Russia, where Dacha Gardens produced 80% of the nation's fruit and berries, 66% of vegetables, 80% of potatoes, half of the milk, much of it consumed raw in 2011, according to Russia's statistics service. In 2003, Russian government passed the Private Garden Plot Act, enticing citizens, entitling citizens to private plots of land between two and five acres for free. In other words, Russia is doing more for its self-sufficiency of its individuals than we are. Um, But let me explain to you why another thing just, I said it wasn't true, and it just, it can't be. The reason that our, we're only at 1% being produced at small farms and in backyards is because our food supply is shifting into fewer and fewer hands. That's backwards. Because we're not producing it locally and we're not producing it for ourselves, it is shifting into fewer and fewer hands. This is, this is not our, it, for all the evil that is the state, our government is not the reason. It's not, let's say it's not the only reason, nor is it the primary reason that most people don't want to farm or grow their own food in America today. There's two reasons. It's hard and you don't have to. The number one reason people are doing it in Russia is because they need to. Because they do not have the industrial-scale agriculture that we do. The, Russia is nowhere near as well-developed of a nation as the United States of America and many other Western nations are. And therefore, if people don't do this, they'll starve. And I'll tell you one thing Russia has an abundance of, especially anywhere outside of like the major cities. Land. This country is blessed with massive amounts of land. Russia has a lot more land than the United States. I'm not even going to go into it, but it's a lot more. So what they're actually offering people here is they're not giving you two to five acres. They're letting you use two to five acres, which I think is a great idea. It's a great idea. Um, but it doesn't mean that like you get to have just straight a straight-up homestead there. Like basically you have a little place you have and then like some adjacent land or some nearby land that you can you can farm or garden. And if you're going to get a piece as big as five acres in Russia, you're going to be accountable for more than feeding yourself. But it's a great way to do things, I think. But here's what I predict. The number percentage of people in Russia growing their own food and their self-sufficiency and preservation as Russia develops will continue to decline. This is a constant in our society. That when things get easy, we don't do things that are even a little bit hard. 
but it's an opportunity for people who will. Whenever people start laying down and not doing something, it's an opportunity. That void will either be filled by people driving combines big enough to clear out even the largest Antifa demonstration, or by people that actually care about quality of food. The choice is yours. There is nothing that prevents anybody in this country from carving out enough of a niche to grow their own food. Uh, next up, that was a question that came in on Telegram this morning. What are some ways to extend your seasons and your, your gardening and everything, your food production? Uh, this is something we, we've done whole shows on. We could do some whole shows on. But it's it, th there's really no mystery in this. Greenhouses, cold frames, indoor growing, indoor hydroponics for one. Like, all you have to start doing is think about how do I grow food when otherwise it would die? And in a lot of the country, it's simply grow something else. So right now, and I should be doing this myself because I haven't yet, I need to get off my butt today and get a bunch more plants started, uh, a lot of it for hydroponics just to feed you guys for the workshop uh, in November because I'm going to have a ton of arugula and lettuce for salads um, available there uh, so you guys can try hydro food. But I need to... In my hydro system, I need to throw a couple six-packs of freaking broccoli in there. Because right now, it's just a great time to start and grow broccoli in the south. And, you know, it won't be that big come wintertime, but it'll be big enough that it doesn't care. I've grown broccoli. I've had icicles hanging off the broccoli. I've had some of the leaf get some frost burn and all, but in, in the end, it still grows beautifully. In fact, it's terrible to try to grow broccoli in early spring here. It's too cold when you start it. And it gets too hot before it finishes. The time to grow broccoli in, in, in my climate is right now. So maybe we'll talk about this tomorrow. We'll dig deeper into it. But, I mean, in the end, you got row covers, right? Grow tunnels, low tunnels, high tunnels, greenhouses. Right? Those are your main things. You can do cloches, which are basically like little portable mini. So you have a little four-foot-by-four-foot garden. You put a little mini greenhouse over it. I mean, there's all these different ways to do this. The big thing is making sure whenever you cover something that there's a way to easily access what's underneath it for harvest and maintenance and also so they can be opened up and ventilated because on those warm, sunny days, it can be 40 degrees out and it can be 110 and it can ruin a lot of your coal crops and things like that that grow well during the summer. So that's all I'll say on that one today. Just, you know... Sit back and think about what you really want to grow. Now, here's the other way to think about this. If you grow the right crops, you can produce a little bit through your winter with things like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and things like that and some of your greens. And if you grow the right crops going into fall and you have good storage crops, by the time you make spring, you're, you start out with some of your, you know, your initial uh, early stuff that's like, you know, forageable and things like that, like sorrel and dandelion and all, and you're getting your crops up. And you do have this kind of delta in the middle where you're not really growing much. Maybe you just take the time off. Maybe you just grow enough in your highly productive season that you have storage crops to make it through, like pumpkins and squash and sweet potato and things like that, things that will store well either above ground in a cool environment without refrigeration or even store in the ground. You know, you can grow a shitload of carrots. And instead of worrying about extending your season, 
just fold the greens over and cover them in straw. And they store in the ground. I've even seen people do that in, in places where it snows and then go out, dig through the snow, down to the straw, part the straw out, but a big, thick layer of straw, reach in and pull a couple carrots out, and they're perfect. You know, unless the ground actually freezes solid, that works. That's just one example. There's tons of things you can do. Maybe we'll talk more about that tomorrow. I'm not sure what tomorrow's show is going to be yet. Uh, next up, we are getting the alarms, and in England, they're already locking people down and beating people up, literally. Literally beating people up, going to people's houses and terrorizing them and making sure they're staying home, etc. Uh, Nazi-level lockdowns. And, you know, the U.K. has had as bad or worse as anybody, including people who did nothing, like Sweden. Uh, in fact, way worse than Sweden, who did nothing and is doing better than anybody else because they kind of got through it because they actually reached herd immunity. And you can look that up if you doubt me, but they, they pretty much, it's been determined to have at this point because they handled this in a sensible manner and they let the most healthy people to go on with their lives, get sick, develop immunity. And if you have something that we already started out with about 50% of people having immunity to, because they've lied about that, because of exposure to common other coronavirus colds, many people have an innate immunity. You only need about another 20% of the population to get up to 70% immunity and you pretty much have herd immunity. Low, not hard to figure out. But will we have this big backlash, this big, huge, when we go into the cold and flu season, will we have a huge rampage of coronavirus? There's no reason to believe that we will, and there's little reason to believe that we won't. The entire reason that this was supposed to happen was that we were supposed to have, and I believed we would, and we did not, we were supposed to have a complete you know, ebbing out of COVID in the summer. It was supposed to go into re remission and then come back with a big second wave in the fall. That was the whole theory. Where a lot of southern states had their surges, which really weren't as bad as the TV made them out to be. Trust me, if you live in Texas or Florida, you have to look at the TV talking about Texas and Florida through this summer and go, what are these people talking about? Because it just wasn't what they said. But we did have our numbers surge. We did have our deaths surge. We did have that type of, of an impact in our summers. So it actually seems like our summers were more conducive to the spread and infection rate than our falls. So there's no reason to believe this. Now, on the other hand, you did have the big surges in the Northeast occur in March. And I think that has more to do with when they reached a critical underlying mass of infection so that it could spread. Because I'm still saying that I believe that about 20, that 19 of 20 cases goes completely undiagnosed. Even with the surge in testing, even with all this shit, that, that 19 of 20 cases, the person never ever even knows they had it, or they thought they just had the sniffles or something. And I, I, if you look at the IHME projections versus the actuals, those numbers stand up. Of course, that makes me want to reduce it to 10x, because IHME has blown every prediction they've ever made. But yeah, they're really good at, at graphing the past. That's all I can say about IHME. And they can't get the future right at all, at all. Um, but yeah, if it's 10x, when you look at that, it's actually, it leads you towards it being more likely 
that we don't have a huge second wave because of what the infection rate actually is then. So if we look at some place like Texas, we have 700,000 confirmed cases in Texas and about 15,000 deaths, okay? Of those 15,000 deaths, the vast majority are people over 80 years of age with not just comorbidities but serious comorbidities, and there's very few people dying now. By the way, World Meter is a bunch of lying, lying, pants-on-fire liars. And if you go look at the actual deaths in Texas for September, for instance, you'll see that there's no way that the average death per day in September was over 37. And that's only taking into account where the, the, the state has said, we're done, not the stuff where they're still working it out. And you take the days and you divide it by the total and you end up with an average of about 37 deaths a day in September. But on World Meter, it'll say 130, 120, 180, and then five, and then like. But it doesn't work out to the to the, the, the same numbers. It's a big, fat, juicy liar. But if we if we take just the cases at 700,000, we take that number by 10, which is I think conservative. We come with a, with a case count in the state of Texas of seven million people having had COVID. Okay, you follow that? It's not hard. Seven, that's 700,000, 10x. Right would be seven million. How many people are there in the state of Texas? The answer is about twenty nine million. Now that's twenty four percent of the population. Again, we now have data showing that about fifty percent of people have a, a very high rate of innate immunity to this in the first place. Where now, where do the lines gray? Where do those people become people who had it and didn't know it? versus people that never got it because of immunity. We don't really know. But if we're looking at over 24% of the population of Texas already having this thing, the idea that in Texas, for instance, there's going to be this huge second wave in November, it doesn't make any sense. Because those people are out. Ain't happening. Then you have at least half of the remaining people that don't have a high propensity to get this or even care about it if they do. And if you have a much lower number of people that can potentially... See, what did I say in the beginning? The most susceptible people always get these things first, and it always skews the numbers on the front end to look worse than it is. Everything that I said about this thing from the very beginning has played out. So what do I think will happen? I think they'll see, you'll see a slight uptick in most places in, a, in around November, December, and January. Because it's winter and it's cold and flu. I also think there will be a propensity to label everything that's severe COVID and to scream that the flu season is worth because COVID. And to make everything hysteria, especially up at least until the election and in the aftermath and the complete cluster flop that the election will be in its fallout of two sides fighting over who really won for at least 30 days. And then magically, about January... When the Gates vaccine is available to you, we will have won the war, if not yet done with the final battle. In fact, that will probably be a phrase that will be used. The war against coronavirus has won even if the final battle has yet to been fought. When you hear that, let me know because I'm going to sue the shit out of whoever ripped me off right there. But that's what I think will happen. Do I know this? Could there be a big giant second wave or at least a second wave that looks like the first wave? Yeah, and I'll tell you the places that are most at risk, the places that did the hardest lockdowns, except they failed the worst, which might actually put them in a better position. See, I actually called, 
it was, I was late to doing it, but it was before it happened. I called the surge in the South about two weeks, three weeks before it started. I, I didn't think it was going to happen, and then I looked at it, and I pulled back, and I looked at what happened in places like Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York that supposedly did it right. And I said, you know, we just didn't have enough of it here. And I said, I think our turn's coming. I remember saying about three weeks before I went on vacation, I think our turn's coming. And we were at the peak of our turn while I was in the middle of my vacation. In Florida, from Texas, where everybody was supposed to be dying. And I'm telling you, it just didn't look like it did on TV at all. While I was on vacation in Florida, my wife and I would at different times go up to the room to get something and bring it back down. Because our room's like a hundred steps from the beach. And so she went up there, and while she was doing whatever she was doing, she flipped around on the TV and left the TV on. Well, she had it on MSNBC. I walked in to do something. I think to get some, I think I'd made some ceviche, and I've got ceviche to bring it back down to the beach. And MSNBC was on. And, I mean, you would have thought it was World War III, the zombie apocalypse, and, and, and like a pandemic movie all going on at the same time in Florida. And I'm, I'm listening to the TV. And I'm looking out the window at the people on the beach. And I'm looking at the TV. And I'm like doing this back and forth thing going. And I should have. I should have videoed it on my camera. Except that I left my camera on the beach. And it wasn't that important to me. So I didn't go get it. I mean, it was it was incredibly. I, and I hate the overuse of this world word after 9-11 happened. Everybody uses this word for things that are not really surreal. But it was surreal. It really was. To be standing in a place that supposedly was like this epicenter of death. Like, people are partying on the beach. Nobody gives a shit. It was, it was dramatic. And that's what I actually see for the fall. A, 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 a somewhat uptick in some markets. The worst being the places that, that did the tightest lockdowns because they have the, the, the larger percentage of people still able to be infected. So I would put Texas in the middle at that because we did like this moderate social distancing thing, right? Um, But in the end, if we would just use the treatments that we knew worked, it wouldn't even matter. But we got to sell that vaccine. So, But I, I just want to point out that I think the whole idea that we're guaranteed this giant fall resurgence is predicated on something, a, a summer ebb, that never happened. It, it seems like this thing doesn't really care if it's summer or winter. It pretty much behaves the same way. What I will say makes it worse is people stay inside more. And I think not only when you are inside more do you get more exposure, you get greater exposure. So there's a total number of exposures, but there's how much exposure you get. And rebreathing the same air over and over again gives a higher viral load, mask or no mask. Also, staying inside lowers vitamin D levels, but those are already chronically low. And if you're not supplementing vitamin D, I figure at this point you want COVID to be serious if you get it. Vitamin D certain zinc, and my full protocol, but at least those three. Or you just want this to be a problem for yourself. That's that's how I view it. All right. Um, no, let's finish with something I thought would be a good little gift to you guys if you haven't seen them already, and it's totally worth rewatching them. And my grandson doesn't know this, but he's going to end up watching some of these with me um, probably during the week when he's here, maybe one a day. I think the uh, Tales from the Green Valley one are 29 minutes long. Uh, so we could just, you know, once a day, maybe two or three days a week, I'll make him watch an episode with me. I'm sure he'll he'll gross and grind and whine and complain, but, you know, he can either do that or I can, he can go outside and move rocks. That'll be his choice. Uh, 
and I think that if you if you do that with kiddos if they need it, I think all three of these will be enjoyed by the whole family. Uh, I think even reluctant spouses, if they will... See, this is my, my thing with stuff like this. It's like trying a food you've never tried before. If you are sure you're going to hate it, and you go into it with an intention to hate it, and you don't want to like it no matter what, you're not going to like it, no matter how good it is. But yet I can take that same food and feed it to you and make you think it's something else, and you'd be like, oh, this is fantastic. And I think shows that are educational especially are a lot like that. If you go into it with an open mind, you tend to enjoy it. If you go into it with a closed mind, you tend not to. So it will be my grandson's choice whether he enjoys it or not, but not his choice whether he sees it or not. Anyway, they are, and everything by these same people. Ruth Goodman is the uh, the documentarian behind all of this these series. And there's like four or five more of them. Um, and everything she's done is fantastic. But the three that I've enjoyed the most, the first one in the timeline and in being produced, when I say timeline, I don't mean history. It just does work out that way. But the first one in the timeline of being produced was Tales from the Green Valley. This one is amazing. The production value isn't quite what some of the later ones are. And the, there's some differences in the cast, but there's some core cast members that are the same. But they hadn't quite developed the chemistry of working together. So it was kind of like the first go at this, as far as I know, from this group. But it was really good. So it has some roughness to it. Think of it like the first season of a sitcom you like. It's good, but it just gets better as the cast develops that chemistry, right? But what it does is it, I think it's from the 1600s. What was life like in the countryside for, you know, peasant farmers in the 1600s? And it's really cool. The next one in chronology of the show being created, but in time it's the most recent of the three of the time period, is called Wartime Farm. And it is, where they went, and what was it like to live in, in Britain, in the countryside during World War II, and deal with rationing, etc. You'd think, well, the farmers would have everything they would need. They had much more than the people in the cities. There were a lot of things they could take as much as they wanted, of like windfall fruit, and uh, a lot of like their kitchen gardens and stuff like that. But like when it came to like producing pigs, they were producing pigs through a pig club, where like families would get together, and only half the pig got divided up amongst the family that fed the scraps of the pig, and the other half went to the people in the city into the market. Now, it was paid for. The farmer got to sell it, but they weren't allowed to keep it. And they were also evaluated, like, how much production are you getting from your land? And if you weren't getting enough production from your land, because the country was literally being starved to death by the naval blockade by the Germans, they would take your farm and give it to somebody that could get the production out of it. It was a really, and there was a lot of new technology coming on board, a lot of old technology still being used. And it was kind of this overlay. And it, it's, it's great. It really is. And then the last one that I want to mention today, and it is older in time, but the most recent one I know of that they've produced as far as production chronology. It's called Tudor Monastery Farm, and it's based in the Tudor period. And it has farmers that were like tenant farmers on monastery grounds. So they were like leasing a place and there were some commons and all. It is the best produced one. And it's really cool. And all three of those are um, series you can watch on YouTube. Wartime Farm and Tales from the Green Valley. I've list linked to playlists that are every episode. Tudor Monastery Farm, the playlist I could find is missing a couple episodes. But if you dig around, you can find them. It starts at like season, season one, episode three. And I think there only is one season of it. Uh, these are all on the BBC. 
There's broadcast limitations. YouTube's only so good about it. People keep uploading it. But if you dig around, you can find it. And I would say it makes a lot of sense to use one of the download tools. And as you find these things, download them so you have copies of them. So that when YouTube takes it down, you still have copies. And if you upload it to your channel and you have a library TV channel, library will pull it over. And after YouTube takes it down, you'll still have it over on library. So I'm just suggesting that maybe you do that. Oh, by the way, the scumbags at Google have push the library TV app off Google Play. They've banned it because they don't like it because it actually is freedom, and they hate freedom because they're scum. Anyway, um, that means you can't use it. It's browser-based, and you can get it for you know the, the apps like for your, your, your computer or your Mac. You can download as a software for your device. Well, not your device, but for your computer, either Mac or PC. You can still do that. Uh, I do think there's going to end up being a way that someone will figure out without jailbreaking an iPhone and going through a bunch of technical crap to basically use browsers to create apps. And I think that's already been done to a degree. Uh, with the Brave browser, I know that Gab operates that way, but you don't really need it, in my opinion. You just use Brave. Uh, and maybe that's the best way to use library TV on your iPhone is to use the Brave app and use the Brave browser instead of the Safari app. All right. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you that one of the ways you can help support the show and the work that we do, do that online shopping that you're going to be doing a lot of in the coming months because you're going to be doing Christmas shopping. And because social distancing blows and wearing a mask at the store blows, and some of you live places where you absolutely have to and that blows, you're going to probably do a lot of online shopping. So do your online shopping at T-S-P-A-Z, that's tspaz.com. And no matter what you buy, you'll help the show and the work that we do. Today's item of the day is on sale again. I love this thing. It is the King Cooker 12-slot leg and wing grill rack. What you do with this thing is you hang either chicken wings. Now, you need to be the whole chicken wings. The little party wings do not work on this thing. It's too big. But the whole chicken wing or a drumstick, a full-size drumstick chicken leg, it will hang from there. And it's designed to work for either one of them. And then you put this in the either oven or the grill. And my suggestion is you put a pan underneath it. It catches the grease if you put it on your grill so it doesn't create grease fires. Or if you do indirect heat, it doesn't make a grease fire later on your grill. Or in your oven, the same type of thing. And you can even put a little bit of water in that pan so that as the grease falls, it floats and it's less scorchy and nasty and all kinds of things like that. But what it does by hanging the uh, appendage, be it wing or leg, it allows the hot air to cook around. And if you've ever cooked chicken wings, you know, either they stick to whatever they're sitting on or, like, the top gets that nice, beautiful, golden, crispy deliciousness and the bottom's kind of wet and it just it's not really what you're looking for. So the top's all beautiful and the bottom's not, so you flip it. You're like, I did it now. Get them both that way. And the top then becomes nice and golden brown. And the bottom gets wet. See how it works? What the hell? This solves that issue. Because other than a little tiny contact point, and with the wings, that's that little tip that you throw away or you make stock out of, right? And with the legs, it's that little bony cartilage part that you hold on to for a handle. Only those parts touch. And then the rest of it just hangs in the open, hot air. I can't. I, you know what I haven't done yet? I haven't used this in conjunction with my pellet tube smoker. Got to try that. I'm going to tell the wife, pick up some, because we got a bunch of party wings from Butcher Box. We don't have the whole ones. We need to pick up some whole wings or some drumsticks, and we need to do those with some pellet smoke on them. But you got to get this thing. And you know why you got to get it today? Because it's on sale for 8 bucks. Now, 
It's already sold out. Again, every time I run this thing, it sells out. Every time it goes on sale, it sells out. You know why? Because it's freaking awesome. But if you order it, you'll still have it by October 10th. That's what it says right now in uh, Amazon. So check it out. The King Cougar 12-slot leg and wing grill rack. It is awesome. And I give you a bunch of different recipes and ideas for it in the write-up today. Now, how do you find the write-up? You go to the survivalpodcast.com or you go to tspaz.com and you can find it there. Or get on the Daily Mail or get in the telecom, the Telegram channel. So you, you don't have to see 100 people having conversations all day long if you don't want to. You get on the channel, all you do is get little alerts for me. It's like a text message, but it's in a Telegram app, and that way I don't know your phone number or anything like that, and you have complete ability to opt in or out or silence me at any time. But you will get all these announcements, and when I announce something like this that sells out really fast, you might get a chance to buy it before it sells out. In this case today, that wouldn't have happened. It, this thing went on sale today, and it was sold out when I found out about it. So I did not have anything to do with the sellout this time. But there are times like last week with the Anchor Power, Power Bank. I crushed Anchor. I know because I looked at the orders. I crushed them. I sold that product out on Amazon. It was awesome. So you want to be on either the mail, but even better is the Telegram channel. With that, let's wrap up the day with our song of the day. I am back to using John Adams' playlist. This song's a cool one. I... I I heard this song many years ago, but I didn't really remember it. It's called Never the Heroes by Judas Priest. And this song is about our people that serve in our military. And it's really based around the idea that most of them don't sign up because they want to go to war. Most of them don't sign up because they want war. What they really want is peace. And they're put into these horrific situations, and then they're told when and how they can defend themselves in a place they never asked to go to, But somehow they fight their way through it anyway. And what it really comes down to is taking care of the guy next to you. I've said that for years. Our military tends to take the most noble from us and do incredible damage to them, often in ways that serve no valid interest to the average American. What we're doing in the Middle East, Afghanistan, etc. right now, it doesn't help you. It might help major U.S. economic interests, But it's not, it's not fighting them there, so we don't have to fight them here. Never the Heroes by Judas Priest. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
friend.